We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Grinders Food for Thought Podcast. We don't just give you a snack. You get five courses for this bad boy. Thanks for tuning in. I am the Looch. I'm joined by my co-host, Will Priester, and we got a special guest coming on, the commish from scoresandnods.com. We'll get to him momentarily. Let me toss it over to my good friend, Will Priester, though, for a quick second. Listen, I'm so glad commish is, is come on for this pie. Um, I, I think we're just gonna hop right in to our appetizer already. Like, no time for pleasantries. You guys know the commission by now. If not, then I guess you haven't been listening to the show. He's he's a regular. Uh, I want to kick this thing off this week, and as you can see, we're like literally hopping right in about two teams that I thought were getting out of purgatory, and after this game this past weekend, they hop right back in, and the Washington Commanders and the New York Giants. Folks, you cannot end this game in a tie in, in the National Football League when you're trying to jock for playoff position. And just when we thought the commanders of the Giants were going to, you know, prove to us that these rosters were improving, they did the complete opposite. The Giants and the commanders in a, in a game that I think had serious playoff implications ended not only in regulation, not over, not only in overtime, a game at 2020. Yes, I know Graham Gano missed a 58-yarder uh to send this thing to send this thing this thing home uh with a walk-off, but it should not even have gotten to this point. Like we've talked about Dable and there has been a culture change. They are winning more games. But my God, this did this feel like a setback on the season for both of these organizations when Philly and the Cowboys just keep winning and Minnesota squeaks out against the Jets and San Francisco gets out of Dodge with Miami, even with Jimmy G going down and neither one of these teams could get any type of real separation from the pack that is each other in the NFC East. I just thought 
that this game, I thought it was a pretty pivotal game this week, and we end with the most blah outcome possible. This is awful for the NFC East. It's awful for the Commanders. It's awful for the Giants. You've got Danny Jones, Danny Dimes saying, well, we didn't lose, but we also didn't win. What kind of quarterback gets on national television and says that? You know what? It's one that the game ends in a tie like freaking soccer. And I love soccer, but my God, in the NFL, you can't end in a tie. Maybe we need a rule change of some sort. Fight to the death. We just start moving the the, the uh, – it just needs to maybe have college rules, man. Start from the 25, and whoever can't score at some point, they lose. I don't care if we have a field goal kickoff. Start at the 30 and just keep moving it back 10 yards until somebody misses. We've got to do something to get a little bit more excitement in the NFL product come playoff time, pushing for playoff time, or the whole season, rather. We can't end the game at 2020 in the National Football League. But this weekend, we did. Kamish, that game tying pretty much sums up how I feel about both teams. I don't think they're contenders. I'd be hesitant to want to label them playoff caliber teams as well. But that game ending in a tie is such a parallel for my thoughts about both of those football teams and their level of competitive play. What are your thoughts on that excruciating tie? And uh, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see both of you guys as well. Appreciate you having me back on. Chief, I, I don't know why you didn't circle back to that fight to the death idea. That's definitely a way to get some more. <laughs> entertainment into the NFL product late into the season. I feel like you just casually threw that one in, got swept under the rug. I, I don't want us to forget about that one. Washington is – I think Washington and New York, they, they are what they are, right? I, I think you, you summed it up pretty well. They're teams that are currently in playoff contention. I don't know if they're playoff caliber teams. Since week seven, you know, Washington's been on this Taylor Heineke run, which it seems like happens every year. Washington tries to go in a different direction at quarterback. Heineke somehow ends up being the starting quarterback. They win a bunch of games. The defense gets much better midseason. And then here we are talking about Washington in December, uh, late in the season. The offense has still sucked. I think there's just there's no there's no way around it. They keep winning games, but it's the defense. Since week seven, the defense for Washington, number one in, in the NFL and EPA per play on that side of the ball. The offense is still significantly worse than league average. And I think we saw that in big moments on Sunday. They just they go up 10-0. They go forever without scoring again. And it's not just that they go forever without scoring. The offensive line is thoroughly overmatched against a New York pass rush that isn't that great. I mean, like, again, New York isn't the creme de la creme of the NFL in any part of the game. Washington looked overmatched at the line of scrimmage consistently in that game. Uh, Jahan Dotson had one of the, the sexiest touchdowns of the season late in the game uh, to bring that game back within a tie. But overall, I think, like, I think Washington's probably going to get into the postseason because of their defense. I think New York is just too banged up right now, especially with all the injuries in, in the secondary right now. But the fact that Washington only put up 20 points against New York when New York was missing literally their entire secondary, the guy they yes. started in the slot had not played a single snap all season. That's what Washington was going up against, and they put they put up 20 points. And again, they only had 10 after that initial outburst they had in the first quarter. So for me, I, I, I agree with you that – we can't end games in a tie. I don't. I, I'm not a huge fan of the college rules where you just give them the ball in scoring territory and then and then you go from there. But at least give them 15 minutes. I feel like we've seen a lot more ties since we've gone to 10 instead of 15. I don't know from a player safety standpoint if they don't want to play the the second overtime period or play indefinitely. But 
man, you got to score some points somehow. That was that was so deflating. And as a fan too, you sit there for three hours watching a football game, and you sit there and you're like, you you have your your Danny Jones comment right of like, well, I'm not mad because we didn't lose, but I'm not happy because we didn't win. What do you do after that? What, what do you do after three hours of sitting in front of your TV? A tie is so un-American. Like I understand it's part of soccer. It's fine, I guess you know. But American football, there should not be ties in American football. And I think we could all sit here and pound the table on that. Hear me out. I like the fight to the death idea. My idea is, hear me out. Instead of you know far-fetched overtime thoughts here, I had a Facebook memory pop up from like four years ago, and I shared something by the way i don't know if anybody else's facebook memories are as cringeworthy as mine were from like 2009 or whatever but uh interesting times in my life i suppose so uh, nothing like a little anxiety looking at memories from 10 years ago about garbage you're posting on facebook um it's funny i see so many depressing titans facebook statuses that's, that's really it so um, i've been through the war and, and by the way just a, a brutal ass kicking tennessee had uh, has received on sunday and i'm not surprised but uh, I reshared something again, uh, Madden, old school Madden games, right? For me, you know, middle school, high school, you have those uh, competitive game types. You have rushing attack, you have the quarterback games throwing through the rings. How about we throw like two, three, two or three linemen, a running back, and like four defenders out there and see who could like rack up the most points or actually score a touchdown? Uh, let's make Tom Brady and, and Andy Dalton get out there and like have some passing skill game competitions, like do something, <laughs> do anything. I don't, I don't care. Just don't end in a tie. I mean, I don't know. Make this Taylor is- Heineke and Daniel Jones, like have a hot dog eating competition on the 50 yard line. I don't know. Just like have them do now something. Think about that. I'm After 70 you. minutes of grueling football, you have the starting quarterback for each team get out there and you have a hot dog eating contest. So gross. <laughs> Listen, that's actually pretty funny, uh, and it, I'm sure that that would be sponsored by Nathan's. Nathan's would fully be on board with this idea, uh, just for you, uh, Lutz. Here's what I will say: I'm, I'm going to go back to my my stupid, but I think ideal field goal kicking uh, proposal, and th- and then I, I know we need to talk about some real stuff. But um, I'm telling you, man, I think let these field goal kickers go out there and earn their money. Just a little bit more. They've already moved the extra point back, which we've seen has created a little bit more drama in the league. Like, it's not a freebie. Like, you got to actually kick the ball. I'm t- Imagine field goal kickers going out kicking 60 yarders to try and win the game, but they both get an opportunity. Like, at the end of a game, field goal kicking is pretty pretty exciting, I think, especially when Justin Tucker nails a 60-yard and then he brings the guitar out and the whole team runs off. It's, I, I think we might have something here. Uh, but I'm not in the mood of pitching ideas to national sports associations since the NBA stole one of my ideas and now has it implemented into their, their regular season. But uh, that's a story for another day. Lutz, I'll kick it back over to you. Get this thing back on the road. I do have one other one other game I want to talk about, uh, but I, I'll, I'll let you do your thing first. Well, there are plenty of surprises. So go with your game and we'll feed off that energy you got over there. Well, look, so I, I, I feel I'm talking about a lot of secondary games this week uh, because the big ones, like the Bills played the Patriots on Thursday. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get the Jets-Vikings. I'm sure we will talk about the uh, uh, Deshaun Watson coming back 
looking awful as anticipated, but was thinking he would just do better against Houston. Uh, a game I want to talk about is one where we saw some emotion and passion, if you want to call it, a few weeks ago from Derek Carr. You know, and he's he's talking about what guys have to do to practice, what guys have to do to go to sleep at night. And, I, and the Raiders, I don't think the Raiders are going to the playoffs, but they have played a lot better since Derek Carr took the podium and pretty much said, hey, uh, everybody isn't, isn't bought in here. And, I mean, we've seen some big-time performance from Devontae Adams along the way as well. Um, and, you know, I'm always going to find a way to poke at Aaron Rodgers here. So now I'm about to tie in my one Aaron Rodgers tape. Uh, don't look now, but Devontae Adams, outside of a few weeks where he hasn't been targeted, has been completely unaffected by not playing with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, has been completely affected by Devontae Adams walking out of the building. I know they beat the Bears yesterday. Who cares? They're not going to the playoffs. But Devontae Adams, man, has continued to produce, and we saw it yet again yesterday playing the Chargers. Folks, let me give you these stats from yesterday if you hadn't heard. Eight for 177 and two touchdowns. And he's done this a few weeks this year outside of his other 80 and 90-yard games. Devontae Adams is the real deal. And Aaron Rodgers is fool's gold. All right, I'm done. Squeeze Aaron in, and we're out. Thoughts on the Raiders, Kamish? I'm going to take it right back to Aaron Rodgers because I, I think you brought up an interesting point. I mean, one, Devontae Adams, agree with everything that you said. He's fifth in the league in receptions, fourth in receiving yards. He leads the league in, in receiving touchdowns. He's been nothing short of fantastic. Derek Carr, Derek Carr seems to get chided a lot in the media. A lot of casual to even more diehard football fans don't really seem to respect Derek Carr, give him his flowers. And, and part of that is because Derek Carr, I think he's just unexceptional too often, right? Big moments or the, the Raiders always seem to be six and seven after 13 weeks type of vibe. But I think the one thing that you can't really argue about Derek Carr is the guy's a leader. For, for better and for worse, he has no issue calling people out. Derek Carr is prepared. He might not be the most talented guy in the world, but he he's the first one to look in the mirror and say, I did not play well today. He, he will call someone else out if they didn't play well, if he feels like the team wasn't prepared, and he's always trying to get better. Aaron Rodgers, I know I, you, they beat the Bears this past Sunday, but my God, every time there was a drop pass or – Aaron Rodgers could – there was one throw that Aaron Rodgers had overthrew the dude by five yards, and Aaron Rodgers has his hands up in the air looking at the receiver like, how am I supposed to play with you? I've been in the league for how long, and I have to throw the football to you. Like the the, the body language from Aaron Rodgers is, in my opinion, half the reason that team is 5-8. and eight. I know every time I've got we've, – we've been on the show together, we've talked about the Packers suck, the, they're, they're not going to the playoffs, this, that. Aaron Rodgers is not a leader. The guy has – fantastic arm talent, whatever you can, you can talk about all the physical skill sets that you want. But when you, when you lack a Devontae Adams or over the years, losing some of the, like the true leaders in the locker room, you know, they, they don't have Jordy Nelson's anymore. They don't have oh. the guys on the defensive side of the ball that they've had in the past. So when all of a sudden, not just the skill falls to Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers has to produce, but you also need a little bit of leadership to make guys around you better. Aaron Rodgers can't do that. And that's why when the Packers are sitting at four and eight, the Packers are cooked. They, they have no shot at the postseason. The Raiders, I will never count the Raiders out of the postseason. They could be five and seven, six and seven. Derek Carr seems to rally guys. He seems to be able to get guys focused at the right time of the year. And I know last year they had that incredible run of luck with favorable scheduling. They seem to get everybody on the week that the whole locker room caught COVID. But 
Derek Carr also, I think, deserves some credit for that. He deserves some credit for Devontae Adams was thoroughly unhappy at points this year. And then Devontae Adams, like you said, he just went for, for eight, eight catches and 177 yards. Devontae Adams is bought back in. If he was disgruntled, thinking that he might have made a wrong choice in free agency, that's in the rearview mirror right now. And the Raiders, let's be honest, the, the interior of that offensive line, trash. The de- defensive line, outside of Max Crosby, trash. Like That team is not good. They don't have talent. They have massive gaping holes at every level of the roster, and they're still finding a way to, to flirt with playoff contention. They're beating semi-good teams, and that's just that's something that the Packers don't do. And w- w- when you look at leadership, I, I think it's – I think there's arguments to be had that there there are reasons that that one team is still ascending at this point in the year and one team is is definitely cooked and, and looking at draft picks already for next summer. The Chargers, we we do the same thing. We drool over the skill position guys, right? We drool over Herbert and Mike Williams, Keen Allen and Eckler. And year after year, it doesn't matter if it's Herbert, it doesn't matter if it's Drew Brees, it doesn't matter who's behind center in well, what was San Diego and now is LA. It also doesn't matter who the coach is. Yeah. They just – why do I feel like they're just soft? They're just missing a component, and I don't know what it is. Every year I can never exactly figure out why. But uh, outside of Khalil Mack, who doesn't always play on the line, sometimes he stands up, you know, they don't have a good defensive line either. And, uh, you know, their offensive line is really banged up as well. They don't run the football. Like, there's no identity to run the football there. So they're kind of a one-dimensional football team as well. And I, you know, they are who they are too. This was a big, they are who they are week. I think for a lot of teams, there's still some teams that are having identity crisis and maybe we don't know who they are, but to me, the chargers and uh, the Raiders are kind of in the same boat. A couple really, really nice, shiny toys that are really fast and look good on the highway. And Josh Jacobs has been unleashed this season. They're like, wow, we can run the football. Wow. Granted, the Chargers were a fantastic uh, run game matchup for Josh Jacobs, but why couldn't he's John been doing this all year? I, unlock I, I, Josh Jacobs. Why couldn't anybody unlock Josh Jacobs? Like, doesn't take rocket science to see if this guy can run the football or not. Yeah, I, and like Jacobs has been doing this all year. Like, if it was just one off the rails game, okay. But like, not only did he do it yesterday. I mean, the week before, the guy pops an eighty-five yarder to just walk the game off like incredible and I mean he's had big performances this season and my last thing I'll say about the Raiders I think Kamish brought up something very important uh you know they've they've won two games and man this week they get the Rams and we, we talked about them getting a little bit of soft scheduling like this might be a gift game if there ever was one Rams are have unraveled completely it seems if they win this week, I think they will be – will they be, what, 6-8, and 7-8? Right, be 6-7. 6-7. Right and seven. Seven. Thank you. Right on the cusp of 500 after what's felt like probably the worst start they could have ever imagined with all, with all the talent they have uh, on offense. So I, I'm with Kamish here. Like, it, it might be t- a little tough sledding in the AFC, but – Man, like Denver's done. Chargers, I don't know. Uh, Miami, I think, is going to keep winning. Kansas City's going to keep winning. Buffalo's going to keep winning. Tennessee's going to win the division. And then it's, I mean, we're starting to get up in the air here. You win and get in. That's why this is so beautiful. We've seen it year after year. 
I mean, the Bengals won the AFC and they won just 10 games, I think, in the regular season last year. Like the non-analytical approaches, sometimes teams get hot at the right time and sometimes they stink at the wrong time. And I think this is going to be, I said it on last week's pod, I think this is going to be a super volatile postseason. I, I don't, I just have a gut feeling. I think we're in for a crazy January and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know what to say about Miami and San Francisco. We have to go there. Kamish, I've been pretty pessimistic about Miami on this show. Chief has not. This is like my subtle victory lap, but I still like the idea of betting futures on them, especially now after they got kind of dumped on without Jimmy Garoppolo on the other side. You can still get them at 20 to 1 in the Super Bowl. You can still get them at 20 to 1. You can still do it, right, Chief? I I don't want to say dumped on. The game was close enough late. Just a bad turnover, a touchdown, and then all of a sudden, this game looks way worse. But it was 24 to 17, and they had the ball with, I think, five minutes left, driving down the field, if I'm not mistaken. Like, it's just, hey, the the worst thing happened. But but what what did I explain last week that I thought would happen? I did not think this offense would see much drop off. And essentially, they did not. Tua still threw for 295 on the road, had two costly interceptions, which that's a part of the game. And Tyreek Hill continued to torch. He had 146 and one. Jalen Waddle disappeared uh, yesterday. But outside of that, like they were right there until the end. And because on the road, that's what you got to do, right? If you're a playoff team, you're going to a hostile environment that was San Francisco, even without Jimmy G. We understand San Francisco's defense is is, is pretty spectacular. Two, I, I feel like Tua had the opportunities. He just couldn't pull it off yesterday. But they, they've got two more road games, I think, before they go back home. So we'll get to see yet again, can this team prove that they've ascended to the next level of, uh, of contention for the playoffs? Kamish, are you any more – like, where are you with Miami right now? I have to say, before the season started, I was the biggest Tua detractor in the world. I, I thought even the genius of, of Mike McDaniel, he could bring his Ivy League education to the team. I, I didn't think it was going to make a difference. But I think I think McDaniel's made a huge difference. I think he fundamentally understands how to utilize matchups to his advantage in the NFL, which I think, honestly, as someone who's not an NFL savant, like I'm not a, I'm not a head coach, I'm not on the sidelines every week in the NFL – but I think even just watching the games, you understand that it's not always about having the most talent. It's about putting the talent in the right opportunities, taking advantage of of one matchup over and over and over again. I mean, I think this is what Tom Brady's built his entire career on, arguably, is a slot corner will be out for the other team, and he will just abuse the slot over and over and over again. We saw this a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland when Greg Newsom was out. Godwin, I think, had like 15 or 16 targets. He would yeah. he could yell it out before the snap, hey, I'm throwing a Godwin in the slot, and they will execute because they're that good. And I think McDaniels does, does the same thing there are drives where he will just pass it every single play because he knows he has elite speed on the outside and he knows that he has a quarterback that continues to get better. Tua has never been able to throw the ball deep with any amount of precision prior to this season. He's made exponential leaps and bounds in that area of the the game this season. The ball that Tyreek Hill caught at the start of the fourth quarter this past Sunday, Tyreek Hill was wide open. Tua would have missed that throw last year. He would have underthrown him, and, and Tyreek Hill would have been tackled at the 10 instead of walking into the end zone for a touchdown. So I think we need to give Tua his credit. I think the larger concern with Miami is 
the offense has to be flawless week in and week out for them to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I think the offense is capable of being flawless most weeks. But like you said, too, we had a couple of costly interceptions. And some you can argue that they weren't even his fault, right? The first one, the receiver was open. He just fell down. And, and then it was just a an easy interception for the defense. Wasn't necessarily yeah. a poor decision that Tua made. Wasn't a bad throw, anything like that. But stuff like that can happen, right? And if the, the defense has too many holes, in my opinion, I think Miami's got holes at every level of the defense. We saw that last year. We've seen that manifest itself this year. San Francisco had a backup. San Francisco really had their third string quarterback in for the vast majority of that game. And they scored 33 points. I know the last one was kind of a like a a gimme a gimme touchdown with him picking up the fumble and, and and walking in with it. But the the defense still didn't play well. The offense, I think, like right now, Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson were both out on the offensive line, so they were down two starters on the offensive line. It was a big deal. Miami, you could they didn't have as much time to throw. You didn't have as much time to scheme guys open. They need Teron Armstead back healthy. I think if you're betting any futures, I wouldn't do that until you have assurances that. He'll be back at least week 17, week 18, going into the postseason to get some chemistry back. If they have him back, I think the offense will be fine. The defense just has a lot of question marks that make Miami, in my opinion, a matchup-dependent team. Like I think they beat the Buffalo Bills because they can stop the one-dimensional offense of Josh Allen. They're familiar enough with him where they can game plan for that. Like I think you can, you can game plan for Josh Allen. We saw that earlier in the season with them. I don't think you. I don't think they can game plan for a team like San Francisco that can run the ball and take advantage of the short passing game with IU and Kittle and those types of things. So, I like. I, I think there are certain teams that they could be, but it's gonna it's gonna matter a lot for them, in my opinion, of who they get matched up with in the postseason. If they, if they play a good defensive team that's gonna limit the offense, then I, I I don't think Miami's defense is good enough to get them all the way to playing in February. Can, can I, man? Me and Commissioner, we're having a good time, Luch. We're not trying to exclude you here. Can I hop in on this one really quickly? Course. So listen, Commiss, you, you brought up, I think, probably the top point in the AFC this season. And here's what I will say. Overall, the NFC has much better defensive teams than the AFC this season. I'm talking about winning football teams. Like Denver's defense is amazing. They can't score any points. So they're not going, like, they're not even going to be in the way, right? Baltimore has been improving since they picked up Roquan Smith. and um, uh, Who else did they pick up? Roquan was their big one. Either way, but they picked up Roquan. Their defense is improving. Lamar Jackson being out of that game, they I think that's a big deal for them if, if Lamar can't play. Because uh, they're definitely – they're only going to go as far as Lamar can, can. Like, this isn't the Ray Lewis defense. So they're not really going to be able to stop some of these high-powered offenses in the playoffs, I don't um, and then the Bengals are kind of on their heels now, especially after that win against Kansas City. Uh, the Titans are elite, but not in the passing game. Like we saw the Eagles light them up yesterday, and and Jalen Hurts couldn't pop off in the run, which is which is what we expect. Then you've got the Jaguars, the Texans, uh, the Chargers aren't really much on defense, neither are the Raiders, and neither are the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs are gonna have to outscore you to win, and if they can't do that. As long as you don't give Patrick Mahomes the ball with two or three minutes left up in the fourth quarter, you're probably okay. And then you've got the Bills who, while their offense has been pretty explosive, their defense has had key injuries. I know Edmonds, I th think, is bad, and I think they're going to get um, – oh, oh, man. Um, they just got Edmonds. Get... They got Rousseau just came back. 
That's it. Uh, that's it. Tredavious White just came back. Like Buffalo's Tredavious White. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So they're, they're going to start to improve, I think. I, I give them about three games. Like, I give them three games to say, okay, this is going to be our defense now until Vaughn gets back. If Vaughn comes back, maybe – you think Vaughn comes back maybe first game of the playoffs or maybe, like, right before? Because I don't think he's coming back within the next three weeks. I don't think so either. But but for me, like, I, I agree with your overall sentiments of – like, you look at the, the AFC playoff picture, right? All the teams that you just mentioned are exploitable defensively one way or another. And McDaniel and the Dolphins offense will be able to do that. Buffalo, I think, is the one team because they're so one-dimensional that Miami's defense actually has a shot up against. So yeah. the, the team that arguably has the best defense that Miami would have to go through, if you go back and watch the film from, I think it was week three when they beat Buffalo yeah. and Miami, if you watch the mind games that they were playing with Josh Allen at the line of scrimmage, Josh Allen can't play effective football under center. They, they've tried to get him to do this throughout his career. He can't. And when you, don't, when you can't do that late in games and they revert to playing in the shotgun, it takes away a lot of the playbook. So if you if you show blitz and then you know a linebacker drops into the flat, then all of a sudden you thought that dump off to the running back was going to be open. You take away some of the things that Josh Allen likes to do. And God forbid Stephon Diggs is cramping in in hot weather or Gabe Davis or one of his top receiving options is down. The Buffalo offense all of a sudden becomes extremely one dimensional, and then they're lacking skill beyond Josh Josh Allen and maybe one one receiver at that point. So I I think like correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your overall sentiment is Miami's got a shot. If they can go against one of these teams that doesn't have a great defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That offense, if you can, if you if you fool yourself into thinking you go toe to toe with Miami offensively, you're not going to win. And that and that's the point. Like honestly, in terms of offense, there's probably so. And these are the teams that are going to be in the playoffs. There's probably the Bills can probably keep up early in the game, right? Like the first, or the Bills should be able to keep up. Generally speaking, the Jets can't keep up on offense. I know Mike White is there. And I, and I think they're better with Mike White. Don't get me wrong. And I've seen Mike White put up gaudy numbers the past two weeks. But generally speaking, like, they they don't want to get in a track meet with Miami. Like, Miami will run away with it. The Chiefs can't keep up, but I still don't think they want to get in a track meet with Miami because they'll get burned on the outside on, on both fronts. Like, it's crazy. The Bengals, on the other hand, are, in my opinion, and not just because they won yesterday, it's really more about Jamar Chase being back. 
that's the one team I think in the AFC that has enough talent outside to where if they have to throw the ball 50 times, they can keep up and not just feel like, oh no, like we got we got to do something here and press and press them into big mistakes. Like, you know, even even Mahomes, hear me out here. I love Patrick. Do I think he's probably the best, most talented quarterback in the NFL? Absolutely. But if they've got to come from behind, you can press him into a few mistakes late. A costly turnover, you know, he'll try to take off and we want to see the Mahomes magic and he to double coverage or he throws into a window maybe he thought he was in man coverage and they fooled him with zone on the back end he thought he had you know like still fool Mahomes up late if they've got to continue to throw to help him to make him make some mistakes and you know about Miami it's really more about the odds we're getting them at than like anything like we're getting 20 to 1 like that's that's insane for an offense that can pretty much run over anybody in the AFC well, so Luch, let me ask you then, if you take them at 20 to 1, are, are, are you comfortable enough with them? Because I, I know you said you're not as high on them as, as maybe me and Chief are, but are, are you comfortable or confident enough in them to where you think that bet will allow you to hedge on their opponent, say, in round two or round three, and then you don't need Miami to win. You just need them to get far enough to bet on the other team that you like more at that point in the season. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I do feel pretty good about it. I think the AFC is wide open. I know I know we like the Bills a lot. I know we like the Chiefs a lot. And that's fine. The scariest thing about those two teams is they have running games now. Sneaky good running games. They finally figured it out. Like Buffalo is now leaning on James Cook and, and Devin Singletary and you don't want to give those teams play action pass looks <laughs> like it's going to get disastrous. It's, it's going to be pretty crazy, but I think the Bengals are quietly above average defensively. And when that offense is healthy, they don't even need Joe Mixon. P Ryan is fine in that system. And, and you know, the line is the offensive line is a little bit better than it was last year. And that's the big, the, the big plus for, I think Cincinnati at this point is the offensive line is a little bit better. So I will say I think Buffalo should be the slight favorite and Kansas City is like 1B. Or you can flip-flop it depending on what you know how I wake up on that given day. But I would like to see a Miami-Kansas City matchup. I think that's, you know, gun to head uh, of the superior teams. I think that's the matchup that's best fit for Miami, which sounds ridiculous, but... The Kansas City's defense doesn't do anything for me, really. Like, that's the kind of environment you know, these speedy wide receivers need to be in. One-on-ones on the outside. We know the Chiefs like to play a lot of, you know, cover one stuff and send a lot of people. And I think a team like Kansas City is actually a pretty good matchup for Miami. Will that materialize and happen? I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think taking them at 20-1 is a good look. And then uh, I'm comfortable with hedging pretty much anybody. Of course, the scariest team – uh, right now is like in terms of I don't know their longevity is Tennessee and it's because of their offensive line that uh, you know they got dumped on in the second half this was a 14-7 game with Tennessee driving with like three minutes left in the second quarter inside the Eagles 15 
Um, but they're well on their way to shattering last year's record of 91 bodies used in an NFL season. At what point does the training staff become accountable when you're just losing guys? Before that game was over yesterday, they missed Christian Fulton, cornerback one, David Long, MLB one, and Traylon Burks, of course, and good to see he's okay, made a spectacular catch. Uh, this was more of a, a concussion-related issue. He didn't get hurt, per se. Well, he was hurt. I, but 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 I, I, I'm with you there, Chief. But Harold Landry out preseason. Danico right? Autry yeah. didn't even start yesterday. Didn't play last week either. Oh, one. Correct. Yeah. So I, I don't think your point is invalid. I think you just so many guys didn't even get to play in the game yesterday that maybe you had a couple less examples of guys leaving during the action on Sunday. But so like in terms of matchups, and of course Tennessee, despite winning the division, might have like some of the longest odds in the AFC to like when we get to that point. I, I'm like already in, implying they're going to win the division because. They should. They should. Jaguars this week going to be a tough one. That could probably really uh, extend this thing and and put it away. The Colts getting thumped helped Tennessee a lot as well. And at that point, you can kind of load manage and like win one or two more games. And then like don't play Jeff Simmons for three weeks. I don't care. Like rest everybody so you can do some damage in mid-January. But Taylor Luan uh, is such – if you type in Dennis Daly on Twitter, the first like 15 tweets are Dennis Daly sucks. Dennis Daly's awful. Dennis Daly is the worst fo- player in the National Football League, and he is. He's the worst lineman I've ever laid eyes upon on my television screen. I He is so bad at football that the run game can't get going, uh, mostly because of him. And, of course, uh, there's been some other holes in the line as well. Ben Jones finally back. Uh, and, uh, you know, the pass game has no time to materialize. But when it does, it's been really good. Like, we saw them do work against the Packers because they don't really have a pass rush. Tennessee needs a matchup. Now, I know people are going to be looking at, oh, Luke, Tennessee's got pretty good odds. What do you think about putting a bet on them, like when January rolls around right before the playoff starts? Tennessee needs a subpar to average defensive line that they can handle and survive. Here's a really weird stat for you, right? Cincinnati, Kansas City, Denver, Buffalo, and Miami all have multiple players with three or more 40-plus yard receptions. No surprises there. High-octane offenses. The other team is Tennessee. So when there has been time, like the offense has, has clicked at times. We've seen it. But the offensive line is so bad. It is so tough to watch. Uh, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, uh, too much for Tennessee up front yesterday. That was ultimately it. And – uh, the starters for Tennessee had a bye week in the fourth quarter. So whatever, at this point, just try to get healthy for January for the Titans. I will say this though, Traylon Burks is really stinking good. He's going to be really good at football. He's grading out, I think, as the best, as the third best wide receiver out of the rookie class so far on PFF. Um, we've seen him really come into his own. He had turf toe earlier this year and we all know that could linger and you know that could take some time to get back on track. But I, I wouldn't say Tennessee are huge losers in this trade long-term. Right now, it, it hurts pretty bad. And we saw A.J. Brown do his thing, and he's great at football. But, you know, we're going to see Chris Olave on Monday Night Football as well, who is awesome, and we were hyping him up preseason. But Traylon Burks, like, I would try to buy him in Dynasty right now uh, if you could. I've, I've loved what I've seen out of him, and, uh, you know, hopefully he has a speedy recovery. So I just wanted to point that out. You know, Miami, we talked about what kind of matchup they would need to make a run or win a game or two. Tennessee is going to need someone with a marginal defensive line on the other side, I think, where, you know, is just average enough to, you know, where Tennessee's O-line can hold up. And, uh, you know, we have a couple weeks left of football and we'll have to see where the chips fall 
I don't know if you want to switch gears, but can we talk about, it doesn't have to be long, but can we talk about why everybody was so surprised with how bad Deshaun Watson looked at football, but he literally couldn't practice until November. So did, did, did we just think he'd be up to game? And when we, I mean like the public collectively just think, let's just put him right in there. He's up to game speed. He's got his timing down. Like, no, no, it was bad. It was pretty bad. Uh, you're the quarterback whisperer, Kamish, pretty much. So, at least in our eyes. So, what, like, Deshaun Watson, Cleveland thoughts here? I saw everybody talking about how Deshaun Watson couldn't have had a, a better matchup coming back, playing the Houston Texans that, you know, and they, they had uh, Stingley was out. You know, they were missing a couple guys in the secondary as well. Deshaun Watson hasn't played football in, in years. And I, I don't 700 care. days. 700 days. Yeah. I mean, if you don't do anything for 700 days, it's going to be different, right? NFL game speed. I can say this confidently as someone who's never been on an NFL team and never gone through first team reps in an NFL practice. That's different. It's different being in practice than it is in a game. I don't care if you're playing the worst team in the league. It is different. And I don't care how thick skinned people think Deshaun Watson is. I don't care how stubborn he's been with the media, refusing to admit that he's done anything wrong in, in light of all the allegations. That has to weigh on an individual and to go out there and to get booed as intensely as he did to begin that game and to have all the media spotlight on you and to have been out for as, as long as he's been out. Yeah, like that that is absolutely going to to make a difference. And I, for those of you who don't know, I, I used to work in a cognitive neuroscience lab. And like one of the things that everyone who studies the brain for any amount of time learns is our brains are pattern recognition machines that have been finely tuned over millions of years of, of evolution. And what happens is when, when you're doing things well as a pro athlete, you're not doing them at the conscious level, right? Every, everything is done in prep. You're, you're doing it in practice. You're watching film. You're, you're preparing for the situations that are going on in the game. So that way, when you have to do something, it's almost always instinctual, right? It, I mean, if you, when you think about how the brain works, if you had to sit there in the pocket and go through each of your reads consciously, like fully consciously, it will never work. You need to be doing things uh, in, a, in a much more efficient state. Deshaun Watson has not had any opportunity to finally tune those pattern recognitions over the over the uh the past 700 days as you said chief so i wasn't surprised at all i thought the one that was most evident of of the rust was the interception that he had in the end zone i don't i don't know how you could justify that throw it was terrible i mean the decision making was terrible there was I, it was just it was confusing to, to see someone make that throw especially after watching Jacoby Brissett do a reasonably good job over the first 11 or, or, or 12 games of the season uh it was it was tough to watch i i think the larger issue with the browns is even if Deshaun Watson shakes off the rust and it's great, the defense is still atrocious. I know they went off on Sunday, and this is making this point not look so strong. But oh, the no. defense is we're been, with you. The, the defense has been terrible. The offense, even with Brissett in there, was top five in most advanced metrics. The defense is what's going to ultimately ruin them. I mean, you look at the Browns' remaining schedule, and some people might think that the Browns are are going to be able to pull off some Cinderella run into the postseason. They're at Cincinnati, home against Baltimore. They have Pittsburgh week 18, so three division opponents, and then you have the Saints and Washington week 16 and 17. So theoretically all winnable games. The issue is that even if Deshaun Watson is fantastic, the defense is going to lose you at least one of those games. And at 9-8, and eight, I don't know if you'll be good enough to make the playoffs in, in the AFC with the Jets already having seven wins and, uh, and and some of the other teams that are ahead of you having tiebreakers. So I think to some of your question, Luch, I'm, I was not surprised at all to see Watson suffer last week. I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a tough game against Cincinnati this upcoming weekend and even against Baltimore in week 15. Like, it's going to take some time to to get uh, his his brain back sharp, to be making quick decisions. And 
it's tough, man. Like he's a human being. Like, I mean, whether you think he's reprehensible, whether you support a, a second chance story, whatever the case may be, he's a human being and these things weigh on individuals. And it, it, it's tough to go out there and to perform at a high level with everything that he's had going on, the rust, the media attention, all of it. Jacoby Brissett is just the stopgap for every team he goes to. That poor guy, whether it's the Colts, Dolphins, or, or Cleveland, he did a, an admirable job filling in, I thought, Chief. Yeah, I mean, look, he Jacoby Brissett, tons of prop money on him weekly on overcompletions. I mean, he sat at 18 and a half, 19 and a half. It was beautiful. Here's what I will say, and I think I said this on the Blitz show on Saturday. And it, even if you watch this, and um, Kamish, Luch, I'm not sure if you guys pay attention to this. This is not always watch when a starter gets named midweek. Like, for instance, a starting quarterback's been playing, and there's this tease. We, he, maybe he gets hurt in the game but finishes the game, and then, you know, the team's kind of in this weird uh, – holding pattern because they're trying to figure out, is he going to play? Is he going to not play? What are the doctors saying? And then the number two quarterback gets the nod on like Thursday. Well, what I can tell you is unless it's um, like a guy that's been around the league, like a Foles or um, a Case Keenum, like somebody that's literally used to stepping into these situations, I always think they're going to do terrible their first start because they haven't had enough preparation time. And I'm, so I'm specifically talking about younger quarterbacks. In Deshaun Watson's case, uh, as Kamish so eloquently spoke about, I mean, a guy pretty much not playing football, not doing anything. I mean, he was around the team in preseason, but, I mean, come on, nobody's serious about preseason anymore in the NFL. They want their starters to play well during the season and not get hurt. So him being out, I expect him to be rusty for sure. And I also stand by the notion that him playing against the Texans was good for him. Like, they're bad, right? So he got a chance to be bad against a bad team and work through some things mentally, internally, right? And this week, I think they've got – they have the Bengals this week? Is that who they have? The Bengals coming up, I think. So here's what I'm expecting this week. I can almost promise you – after this week's practice, being able to get in the field of the game, he'll be better this week than he was last week. I'm not saying mistake-free. I'm saying better. And then in the third week, he'll be better than that. And because I think the Browns feel like they knew Deshaun wasn't going to start a lot this season, I think the Browns said, hey, let's get our quarterback for the next few years and quit taking flyers on draft picks that are unproven. Let's go and get a guy that we know can get it done. And I think as Deshaun plays more this season, my prediction commissions by the end of the season, maybe last two games, we see something close to the real Deshaun Watson. And next season, like watch out when you got Chubb there healthy, and I'm sure they'll go and get another wide receiver, which Cooper's going to be great for them. I think, I still think they're going to get another guy. Njoku should come back healthy. Uh, they'll probably do some things in the draft. I think last two games of the season, we see something closer to the real Deshaun Watson because he's had some time to kind of get back rolling here. Uh, but it was good to see him play. And uh, uh, he looked awful. But I, I do think 
having him in the Browns uh, organization is going to help them long-term because this season is already a foregone conclusion. The Bengals are going to win that division easily if Lamar doesn't play. The Lions laid the smackdown on Jacksonville. Looked like Trevor Lawrence had a brutal injury. Came back in the game. So everyone was holding their breath in Jacksonville. Detroit is one and a half point home favorites against the 10 and 2 Minnesota Vikings this week on FanDuel Sportsbook. Are we surprised, Kamish? My most controversial take, probably in the, the entire NFL right now, is that I don't think the Minnesota Vikings are as bad as everyone thinks they are. Every, I see every week everyone saying the Vikings suck. The advanced metrics say they should be, you know, seven and five instead of 10 and two. Kirk Cousins sucks. That. I saw somebody refer to him as a luck box this week. And I think Minnesota's biggest issue is, man, they, they just play down to the level of their competition and they, they play with their food week in and week out. And I think they have had a couple of lucky wins. I mean, I, I mean, New York had every opportunity at the goal line this past week. Right. But I, I'm not going to put it past them. If, if New York scored there, that somehow Kirk cousins manufactures a drive and they go down and somehow win the game anyway. So I'm not, I, I, I don't understand this line frankly at all. I know the Lions have been playing better football, but the secondary is still a mess. The The Lions offensive line right now is still not healthy. I know they just put uh, a, a pretty brutal beat down on, on the Jacksonville Jaguars, but you look at the context of that game, right? A young Jacksonville team just pulled off a thrilling home victory over the Baltimore Ravens, a game that they had no business winning. They had no business winning pregame. They had no business winning in the fourth quarter. I mean, that was really miraculous, right? High energy, high emotion. you you go into practice the next week, you feel a little bit too good about yourself. You got the Lions coming up. You think you're going to get to five wins, and then you get steamrolled. I'm not going to give the Lions too much credit for that. The Lions came out, and they took care of business. Credit to them for that. They deserve the win. But, man, Minnesota, you look at their two losses this year. They lost to Philadelphia, who has one loss on the season. They lost to the Cowboys, who ESPN's FPI, like all these algorithmic like prediction machines, have Dallas as the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. So you're telling me the Minnesota Vikings who have two losses on the season, both losses against teams that are legitimate Super Bowl contenders should be underdogs against the Detroit Lions? I think that's blasphemous. No. It's blasphemous. No. Go ahead, yeah. I got more to say, but go ahead. You already know. Like, this is this is, this is is stupidity at its finest. I don't know what these line makers were doing here. Um, and look, I'm not a Kirk Cousins truther. But it's more for the things that I've seen happen over the years. Kirk Cousins will have a costly turnover that will probably prevent them from going to the big show. But that's that's my my personal thoughts. The reality is, it doesn't matter how how you feel about the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, the game against Buffalo. I mean, everything had to go in their favor for them to win that game, and it did. And they they walked out with victory. But I'm actually going to bring this down to, like, a kindergarten level here, Kamish, uh, Lutz. The Vikings have 10 wins in the football league. They didn't, like, go down and play college teams or go play high school teams. They've got 10 wins in the National Football League. Now, they have lost to two of the better teams. In the NFC, of course, but let's also talk about some of the games that they've won. And, and what I'm going to point out, because I think this is a, a fairly big deal here. So they beat the Packers 23-7, uh, lost to the Eagles 24-7, to which, you know, 
however you want to slice it. They beat the Lions 28-24. They beat the Saints 28-25 on the road. They beat the Bears 29-22. This, I think, was a big one. I know two was out for this game. They beat the Dolphins 24-16. Shoot out with the, with the Cardinals 34-26. Uh, beat the Commanders 20-17. Beat the Bills 33-30 in overtime. Lost to the Cowboys 40-3. Got The game just snowballed. Beat the Patriots 33-26 and beat the Jets 27-22. None of the teams are the USC Trojans, the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Clemson Tigers, the Florida State Seminole. These are all professional football teams. And if you look at some of the teams that they've beaten, they would kill to have 10 wins in the National Football League. And so the numbers themselves don't lie. The NFL is made up of how many close games can you win? You're not going to have a lot of 40 to 3, 35 to 0. That's not the NFL. Like, if you go back and look at, and, and I'm bringing this up for a reason here, because I'm going to bring up now, uh, just to strengthen our argument here, and hopefully this makes a lot of sense to people, I'm going to bring up the Eagles. Because the Eagles are 11 and 1, right? And the Vikings are 10 and 2. Commish, listen to these scores from the Eagles. Now, the Eagles aren't blowing everybody out every week. The Lions 38 to 35. I mean, they they won 38 to 35. It's not like they, they beat the Vikings 24-27. They beat the, I mean 24-7. They beat the Commanders 24-8. Jaguars 29-21. They beat the Cardinals 20 to 17. Last second guy misses the field goal, so they don't go to overtime. If everybody remembers that, they beat the Cowboys 17. They beat the, the Steelers 35-13, 29-17, Texas 32-20, uh, lost to the Commanders, 32-21, beat the Colts 17-16. I know the Colts were playing inspired football. I get it. Uh, and beat the Packers 40 to 33. 40 to 33, seven-point game. And then they beat the Titans 35 to 10. My point is, in the NFL, teams aren't blowing teams every out every week. And I know I went all the way around the Mulberry Bush to say, Commish, I'm with you. Like, that's zero respect on the on pretty much, in terms of record, the second best team in the NFC. Like, that's that's crazy. That's so I've never crazy. seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. I thought – I think the only thing – that truly gives me a little bit of pause with the Minnesota Vikings is right now their left tackle, Christian Derrissaw, is out. He's missed the last two games. The guy, his backup, who, who's, been, who's played uh, that, that position the last few weeks, Blake Brandell, has been atrocious. I mean, he's given up – if you look at the last few weeks, he's given up a sack in four consecutive games, even though he hasn't played the majority of snaps in two of those games. He's given up multiple quarterback hits, hurries, quarterback pressures. He gave up four in two of the last three games again. Didn't even play the whole game uh, three weeks ago. I think if Derrissaw's out again, I could see Kirk Cousins being under duress. I could, see, you know, you mentioned a, a costly interception that might prohibit Minnesota from going to the big game. I could see that being part of the game script this week, and maybe Detroit pulls out a win. I think the 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 question though is if you're making the odds on this game, how many times does Minnesota win and how many does Detroit win? Because that's what odds are about, right? It's not to say that Detroit can't win. It's to say who should be priced as a favorite. There is no valid argument, in my opinion, that Minnesota should not be a favorite. Because even if you think Minnesota is not as good as they are record-wise, they sure as hell are better than the 5-7 and seven Detroit Lions, 
who ranked damn near dead last in every defensive metric this season, who have injuries on the offensive line. I mean, whatever issues you have with Minnesota, you can't tell me that you have less issues with the Detroit Lions. And that's what I think is crazy. And you mentioned all these close game scripts. Yeah, I mean, I think the points that you bring up with the Eagles are fantastic, and nobody brings those up because everybody's like, oh, the juggernaut Eagles, they win a lot of close games as well. You know what happens in the NFL is if you can come back from being behind in games, if you can win those close games, you have a good season. That, that that's, exactly. and I think that's a lot of the point that you were making is you that's have to NFL. win the games decided by one score because there is a, there is no league anywhere that has more parity than the NFL. You have to win close games against other teams that are professionals, and that's what Minnesota's been able to do. They were down – 24-14 against Detroit in week two or week three, and they came back and won. Like, Minnesota should not be knocked for getting off to a close start. They should be lauded for coming from behind and winning a game like that. And if you look at the games that Minnesota has struggled, week two against Philly, they had Darius Slay, who played press coverage against Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson don't like to have his, anybody have his hands on him, if anybody's noticed this yet. Justin Jefferson will go off. If you play zone, you let him get free releases. Dallas, same thing. They pressed Justin Jefferson. There was also the emo- yeah. what we just talked about with – Jacksonville coming off an emotional win. Minnesota just had that same thing with Buffalo. They won that thrilling overtime game on the road. They had a lot of things that went their way. Minnesota is not going to have any issues getting Justin Jefferson open against against the Detroit Lions secondary this weekend. If Minnesota goes down, it's going to be a 60-point, like 33-30 to loss when there's going to be a special teams touchdown or some like crazy strip sack or something that's going to flip the script. Minnesota's a better football team on both sides of the ball. The strengths that the weaknesses that Minnesota has, they're not strengths that the Lions are capable of exploiting. It's a division game. I anticipate it being close, probably like three, six, seven points. But like you just went through, you chief, you read us all the scores. Almost every game in the NFL is a one score game. And and who has proven this year that they can team. win more of those? Minnesota or Detroit? And and listen, here, here's the thing, Luch, Luch, I know you got to get in on this, and I want you to get in on this. The crazy thing is, if I read you the bottom of the barrel teams. And I'm talking about a team like Denver who can't score any points. All their games are close because their defense is good. Like, they just can't score enough points to win. But it's not like they get blown out. They haven't got blown out, I think, one game this season. It took one hardly any game. Last but not least, you know, we can be – and I'm, I'm saying I'm going to include myself in the media, uh, but, but I'm not on the side of the media on this per se. You can say whatever you want. At the end of the season, the Minnesota Vikings could very well be 15-2. and two. They may not lose another game. I've looked at the schedule. They're playing the Lions, the Colts, the Giants, the Packers, the Bears. And the Colts and the Giants are at home, and then they play the, the worst teams on the road, Lions, Packers, Bears. Oh my! Like, I mean, what what are, what are we? Are, we're not expecting them to lose these games. I'm not expecting them to lose any more games. To be honest with you, the Eagles have a much tougher time winning out. Now, do I think they can? Obviously, but I'm with you, Commiss. I didn't expect us to kind of be uh, hop on the the Vikings bandwagon and have to, you know. Bam the hammer for the Vikings, but man, they're getting no respect. This is crazy. The last really head scratching line was Thanksgiving, or when was it? Was uh, before Thanksgiving, Vikings, Cowboys, and 
you know, I know that was one of the two losses and that Dallas is a Super Bowl contender, but that was a complete annihilation. And we kind of all thought the same thing about that line, though. Whoa, like no love for Minnesota. I, I don't know. I don't know how to handicap them. I, I don't know. Emotionally, sure. Detroit coming off. There the is no handicap team. against the Detroit Lions. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. On. I don't know. They're not. They're not the worst anymore. They're not the best, but they're not the worst. They. I really don't know how to gauge this game. But basically, they're not better to... than the Vikings. I think that at the end of the day, what we're saying is the Detroit Lions are not better than the Vikings. And I think if you ran odds on this game, I think you'd roll with. I mean, and and this is me, and I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing a little bit too far here. I'm saying this season, I think. I think the Vikings went 80 out of 100 games. I don't even know if the Lions are better than the Jaguars. They just destroyed the Jaguars. Does that make any sense? <laughs> like, right, but Luch, I think, like, I think that's the 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 best point that you can make right there. Like, you just mentioned the line against the Cowboys that week, and people thought, oh my god, like, like how is this the line with with how Minnesota was playing at the time and how Dallas was playing at the time? I think there are certain situations in which books or like they'll get sharp money and they'll realize, like, hey, you know, this team is really well equipped matchup wise to handle this team and i think dallas is a team that probably beats minnesota eight times out of ten because of how they match up right i think the eagles beat minnesota eight times out of ten because of what they can do to justin jefferson and what they can do with the line of scrimmage the detroit lions can do no such thing and i think again like i i'm I'm with you chief of the minnesota vikings like no matter how many issues you have with them if if you were running a sports book would you drop a line? Would you be giving people points on the Minnesota Vikings against the Detroit Lions? I don't know how you'd expect to make money as a sports book if you did this on a regular basis where you're just like, oh, I don't think this team is that good. And the other team that they're playing is five and seven, one of the worst, unequivocally, one of the worst defenses in football. The secondary is atrocious. They have very little talent on the defensive line. The linebackers are, are there, I guess, right? They, they like You can see ah. them on the field, but like it's, truly, it's truly the one- it's not just one book, though. It's, just, it's every book is favoring Detroit right now. It's so it's bizarre. It's a public perception thing. Like I think a couple of weeks ago, it was I think it was truly a matchup based thing. I think and I think it was also Dallas being undervalued relative to how well they were playing and people just not wanting to buy into to Dallas. Because remember, early in the season, everybody had written Dallas off. And I think from a public perception standpoint, the books have to take that into account as well. They're not just looking at how talented teams are or or, or what they anticipate the outcome to be. Books are in the business of trying to get as much uh fair money on both sides right or at least in in situations where it is more of a toss-up they want to try to guarantee themselves a profit in that situation dallas was still on the come up minnesota was riding very high i think they saw an opportunity to cash in on the public uh with with misperception of those two teams i think they see another situation right here where they're almost baiting everybody into taking the detroit lions right and i think one of the biggest misconceptions is that books want 50 percent of the money on both sides that's true if they don't really know what's going to happen or if it is truly a toss-up. But if the books are confident in what in, in a particular outcome, they want everybody on the other side. They'll take 85% of the money on the team they think is going to lose because they'll pocket all 85% of that. And I think right now the public is looking at this line and they're saying, you know what, I've, all my friends or all these like advanced an, analysts, the nerds are telling me Minnesota is not as good as their 10-2 and two record and people are going to take that too far. They're going to open their FanDuel or their DraftKings Sportsbook app, and they're going to, oh, my God, Minnesota's an underdog. They must actually be a bad team. Books wouldn't make this mistake. And everyone, like we're seeing, you got like 65% of the early monies on Detroit, and the books are going to walk away this weekend making a lot of money because they're going to trick everybody into betting the Detroit Lions. 
And of course, we'll see what happens. Kirk I like the Vikings too. So just we're here to save you, folks. We're here to save you. Your hard-earned American dollars. Don't be bamboozled here. Kirk Cousins, you cannot mess this up for us. People will never listen to this again. We, we've gone on for 15 <laughs> minutes about how the Vikings they have no shot to lose this game. No, th- we are a pro-Vikings podcast with how much Aaron Rodgers slander comes off of this thing. Not slander. But, we, but here, here's the thing. People can say whatever they want. We've been right about Aaron Rodgers every step of the way. Just we weren't go back nasty. And check we were tape. just calling. We we're just shooting straight, right? Yeah, we we've fine. been right. Like th- that's the benefit I think that we have as not only fantasy sports players and people that look at the books. Like we just call it how we see it. I'm not obligated to not talk about Aaron Rodgers in a negative light, like the media has done for years and years and years. We, we look at it through our own lens, and how we see it. And guess what? That doesn't mean things won't turn around. or And we're going to be wrong a lot. We'll be wrong as well. But, man, like, that's that's why I love this job. That's, I love when Commission comes on. I love Luch being here. Like, we get to share our perspective. And if you listen, I go on a limb and say 70% of the time we're right. Just remember, a win's a win unless you're the Minnesota Vikings. Doesn't The wins don't count for them. <laughs> Just what it comes down to. All right, let's go through a couple quick games before we go uh, to food of the day and story time. Eagles-Giants, is there any glimmer of hope for the Giants? Six-and-a-half-point home underdogs here, Kamish. Do you have any – I know the answer is no, but do you have any interest in betting them with the points? Yeah, it's a division game. I, I think anytime you have a, a reasonably talented football team that – uh, that, that's an underdog in a division game. I think it's always worth a look at a touchdown underdog. But then I think what we saw this past Sunday with the Philadelphia Eagles, their offense is superior to almost everybody in the league. I think they just go out there. The offensive line is, I think, the best unit in the entire league. You Any unit, you want to take the receivers, the DBs, whatever. That offensive line is better. It has, is more impactful week to week than any other unit on any other team in the NFL. And I think what's going to end up happening this week, that the Giants are really banged up on the offensive line. I think – Philadelphia's defensive line is going to absolutely destroy them with the line of scrimmage. And then if New York still is without their top three cornerbacks this weekend or three or four guys in in the secondary unit, the way Jalen Hurts is slinging the football right now, there's not too many guys in the league capable of making the throws that he's capable of making. And they certainly don't have the weapons that he has with, with it, with AJ Brown and, uh, and with some of those guys and also the running back tandem. I mean, mean, Miles Sanders and then Jalen Hurts able to extend plays with his legs. So I, I won't be on it. I I'm, Again, like not thrilled about taking a divisional favorite uh, who's favored by a touchdown and on the road in a division game, especially late in the season. But New York's got a lot of injuries right now and injuries that are at non-sexy positions, right? The defense that nobody looks at and the offensive line, which nobody looks at and nobody takes into account. So that gives me a lot of pause. I definitely won't be on New York, but uh, that line would probably have to come down underneath six for me to jump on Philly. Eagles by how many points, Chief? Um, I literally, and I think this is the perfect segue because we just talked about these close games and while the Giants just ended in a tie, I think I take the Giants in the points here, like at plus six and a half. They're at home and division games we've seen, I think throughout, God, the history of the league, really, like they're always tough. How many times when, when, and I'm going to go back to, to the Baltimore days when the Steelers were just really like, Big Ben's out. 
I heard Antonio Antonio Brown's out the building. They've got Mason Rudolph at quarterback, and they still struggle playing Pittsburgh. Like these, these divisional games are, in my opinion, are always fairly tight. Um, I think I take the Giants plus six and a half here, and I, I think I'm on the right side of this. Like Eagles maybe win by a field goal, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. Any other games you want to run through? I'm not crazy about a lot of these games. The game that's fascinating to me is the Sunday night game because you have the Chargers, who we know do not win the big games, against Miami, who I'm not sure if they can win the big games on the road here. Listen. Listen, listen to me very carefully here. What, what's the spread? And I, I can pull it up, obviously. I think you've got it in front of me. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say – they do they have the Chargers minus two and a half? Please don't tell me they have that. They're they're getting two and a half. They're the dogs. Chargers are the dogs. Home dogs. Okay. I saw. Okay, I, I get it. And they they should be like Miami's Miami's offense is like so much better than this team. I'm expecting Miami to win, even if it's by a field. I take it. Like Miami should win this game. Um. I'm still taking Miami to win the A to win to win their division for what's worth. I'm still taking them over the Bills, even after last week. Commission, you got any macro view on this Dolphins Chargers game? It's a primetime game, so I, I don't anticipate it being a blowout, but I, I really don't see how Miami loses. Miami's offense is better. Know. And again, like we talked about with Miami having deficiencies defensively, but their coaching staff is good enough and they have enough playmakers to 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 intellectually outsmart some one-dimensional offenses. The Los Angeles Chargers just do not run the football between the tackles. They just don't. No. So if you know that Justin Herbert's going to throw the ball all night long, yes. My, my, Miami's defense will be able to uh, have a decent game. I, I think the offense is, is fine, right? It's They didn't have Teron Armstead against one of the best defensive lines in the entire NFL. They're, they're on the West Coast. They're an East Coast team going to the West Coast for a game. They, they I don't – I have to look at their travel schedule. I think it would be rough for them if they did come all the way back to Miami. and then they Yeah, I think, they, I think they stayed on the West Coast, actually. The whole, they're going to stay the whole time. If they do stay out there, then I their, their body – so for people who aren't aware, like your circadian rhythm, which is like your internal biological clock, will adjust about one hour per day. So you figure if you leave on Friday from the East Coast and you end up in the West Coast – on it'll take you saturday will you'll adjust one hour and then sunday you'll be adjusted two hours but you're so your body will still be off one hour relative to the time zone that you find yourself in but if they're there for a whole week their their internal clocks will adjust they'll, they'll be out in the west coast they'll be used to the weather they'll they'll be around each other too i mean you gotta they seem like a really tight-knit bunch i know mcdaniel has spoke on that a little bit the camaraderie the the chemistry of being around those guys for a whole week uh not having to travel to that's a bonus it's like being at home right i know you don't you don't have your family you don't have your own bed and things like that but not having to get on a plane for a whole week, I think Miami will be fine. I, I don't expect Armstead to play, but having most her back and the Chargers are one of the worst run defenses in football. I mean, Miami, the best pass defense in the league, or you know at least they're one A, one B, or one C with some of the other uh, potent teams in the league with Philadelphia and KC and those guys. If they can run the football, you just made them a juggernaut. You you won't be able to get Miami off the field in this spot. So if you think yeah. somehow Miami doesn't win this game, I mean you have to be absolutely hammering the over 51 in the spot because there's no way they're losing a game if there's no way they're not scoring 30 25 30 points in this game in my opinion story time gpp food of the day anything fellas 
like chief i know you probably have something cooking man listen listen i've always uh got something in in terms of food and I, this is a this is a uh, a local spot i'm not sure if i've talked about them before um so if i have just you have to roll with me but pugan's porch man there's a spot down here called pugan's porch uh it's obviously southern i live in the south i'm in south carolina and uh man they've got this appetizer luch it's fried it's a fried pimento cheese ball they serve it with a bacon jam it's it's incredible like if if you're ever down here and you, you're you're you know you're in my city or anywhere close uh I know you'll let me know you're here. I got to take you to Pugin's Porch, man. Uh, amazing restaurant. Um, fantastic food. Does sound good. Nice local spot. You gave us a good one yeah. over the summer, Kamish. So I don't know if you have anything else. Up your sleep locally or wherever you're at? It's not local. Actually, I just got back from L.A. and... For those of you who have never been to Cleveland, we don't we don't eat things off of food trucks here. It's just it's <laughs> not how it's not how we're brought up. Like we're not taught to trust the food that comes out of boxes on the street on wheels. But I was in LA a couple of weeks ago and completely changed my perspective on on the quality of food that you can get from people on the street, people in trucks, and just a couple of places that I wanted to shout out: Carnitas El Momo. I knew it. <laughs> hey, the taco food truck, man. I'm was telling you. It was insane. Teddy's Red Tacos in Venice, Elgato Night Market. There was a couple more that I don't have written down, unfortunately, but all like locally sourced food. The people will tell you exactly where it came from, prepared with incredible care. And you could get all this food. You could get incredibly full. You could have a great meal, sit around. It's just, you know, it's easy to eat tacos or quesadillas, whatever you get. And it'll be you know, six, seven, eight dollars, depending on how many tacos you get. Uh, pie, get your get pineapple on on tacos. They they did all these things that we just don't do on the East Coast, especially uh, growing up in Northeast Ohio. Like we just don't do this with our tacos. We put you know beans and chicken and all the normal stuff on tacos. They had um, all these different. I mean, like anything you can think of. I had I had ribs on a taco, which I, I had never even thought never even thought of before. It was a little bit dysfunctional if you because with the bone in it. But if you pulled it off the bone and then you put it back in the taco, it's fantastic. The salsa, the guac, all of it. So. If you're in LA, don't go to all of the crazy, like like fancy, expensive restaurants. Go to the taco trucks, pay three dollars, go get some local food, support those guys. They they do great work, and uh, you'll you'll be grateful, man. It's it's great food and not a lot of money. These breweries, these wineries, you know, they make deals with a lot of local food trucks. You know, wherever they're set up, and it's just a beautiful partnership. You know, if you get a high profile food truck coming to your your business nowadays, like that's an attraction. Chief, I'm sure the food, the barbecue scene down your way, you know, I'm sure we've talked about some food trucks down your way once in a while. You got any, you got any favorites? Um, see, man, a lot of the food trucks here th- to me. So, so we're in a big seafood spot here as well. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, right? Because, because I'm by the water, like we've got so many seafood spots, seafood food trucks even and then we've also got barbecue and then we've also got um like taco trucks so we, we have a, a pretty large hispanic population here as well um so i think if there was there, there's so many let's see who i can shout out 
I'm gonna give so, so this place actually has a food truck and a restaurant. Um, and it's crazy how they do it. They've got a food truck that travels around, but their restaurant is like downtown. It's a place called Pages Okra. I mean, whew, incredible seafood, um, incredible shrimp and grits. Like if you're here in my local area, like you can get so many different types of shrimp and grits. Um, we do a lot of uh, what they call low country boils here. So in a, a low country boil, and I know we got to close this thing out, Luke. That's basically you're going to have some type of crab. So whether it's uh, uh, Dungeness crab, snow crab, crab legs, whatever, you're going to have sausage. You're going to have uh, corn on the cob. You're going to have unpeeled baby red potatoes. Um, you'll have some boiled eggs in it. Um, and all of that is boiled or, or cooked together in some type of a rich sauce. So it could be a garlic sauce, a hot and spicy sauce. Um, a lot of the places down here, when they put it all together, they call it a house sauce or a juicy sauce. And I'm telling you, like, it's incredible the scene down here with those things. Um, garlic butter sauce. Some people make a heavy garlic butter sauce. They kind of put in that seafood concoction. It's incredible. If you guys are in the area, uh, please, 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 the chief will take you out and, and I'll cover it myself. You have to enjoy it. It's, it's amazing. The chief will take you out. I love that. I love when things come together. I love getting shout outs from people who listen to the pod. Uh, my friend John Berger from the Lehigh Valley suggested I go to Edge Restaurant. Or did I tell him I was going to Edge Restaurant? But he told me what to get. So if, if someone specifically says, oh, this is what you get when you go there, like that's what I'm getting. If I have any inkling that I trust a recommendation. I had chicken curry. It was awesome. I posted it on my Twitter. So big shout out to uh, John for telling me to get the chicken curry at Edge Restaurant in Bethlehem. Uh, that was a pretty good spot. So if you're in the Bethlehem area, which is like, if you're looking for points with a significant other and you're like in Pennsylvania or Northern New Jersey, it's one of the top, I would say holiday-ish towns all decked out in lights and decorations and a lot of historic shops and restaurants on Main Street. So definitely check out Bethlehem. I've been spending some more time down there and the casino has a sports book there too. So it's a win for everybody involved. Let's get out of here. Commission, thanks so much for hopping on. We appreciate you. Come back soon. Thanks for having me guys. Always a fun time. Chief, any final closing words? I'm good, man. I, I've talked enough for a day. Uh, I'm going to go and sit in so solitary confinement uh, for the rest of the night and watch a little football and basketball and, and all those other good things. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed some of our conversation, banter, analytical takes, and non-analytical takes. And just remember, a win's a win unless you are the Vikings. So for Commission and Chief, I am Looch. Have a good week, everybody, and good luck. Thank you.